Hello and welcome to an incredibly insightful episode of the Quiet Connections podcast. You're going to learn so much from today's guest. So join me, Hayley, and Dr. Suzanne Henwood as we explore the topics of boundaries, bullying and self-regulating so that you can have those tough conversations when you need to. You'll discover new perspectives on people-pleasing and dumb compassion, feeling emotionally safe and flexing and maintaining boundaries. And throughout this episode, Suzanne offers us some helpful ways to gently bring yourself out of the fight-flight-freeze state that we often experience when our boundaries are crossed or we feel unsafe or we're experiencing social anxiety and into a more balanced place where we can connect with integrity and uphold our boundaries when we need to. It is an absolute joy to introduce you to Suzanne Henwood. Welcome to Quiet Connections, Suzanne. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, lovely to be here. Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about you? Oh, me. I'm going to start with family because I often find myself in the front of training rooms with a co-trainer and I introduce myself in terms of role and function and then they stand up and they say, oh, I'm married with two kids and I think I forgot to mention that. (laughs) So I am married. I've been married 32 years to a wonderful guy who is now a high school teacher and I have two children who are kind of grown up chronologically but still a little bit, um, you know, want their family. So I've got a 22 and an 18-year-old and I live in New Zealand in a a little place just outside Auckland up on the west coast coast, in the middle of a rainforest Um, and I have uh, a west coast surf beach about 20 minute drive away and a beautiful quiet harbour beach about 10 minutes away so depending what sort of water I want I have it right on my doorstep literally. (laughs) Yeah and I'm a stress and anxiety coach mainly that's what I do um, as well as training uh, coaches, particularly MBIT coaches. I'm a master trainer of MBIT, um, but I do so much more than, than just that work within bullying, uh, self-esteem, deep belief issues. Yeah, so got a, got a bit of a wide, wide toolbox. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk about boundaries today. And mm-hmm. before we move on, you mentioned MBIT. So shall we just explain what that is? Yeah, MBIT is a beautiful set of tools really about how it how it is to be human. The fact that we have kind of been brought up for many generations thinking we live our life in our head. It's all about education, it's all about science and knowing and justification and story. And we've lost sight of, you know, a huge part of our intelligence that comes from heart and gut and that master coach, also ANS and pelvic brain. So it's about getting back into a deep connection with self yeah. that releases beautiful innate intelligence and wisdom from within the person themselves um, that they've probably been missing and not realizing what they're missing. Yeah, that was so beautifully put. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we are, we're brought up in this world that tells us we need to be able to justify everything and just feeling that something isn't right or feeling like we want to do something isn't a good enough answer so we do lose that connection and it's really important to to maintain that so how does this then relate to boundaries well if we look from an embraining perspective we've got several boundaries we've got our physical boundary of the skin 
And the skin is innervated largely by the autonomic nervous system. So we have a physical boundary to the world. What's safe to, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, we are trying to keep ourselves safe. We're putting restrictions on, you know, masks and breathing to create another boundary. Mm. So there is that whole boundary of our body, where it ends physically and what we allow in and what we don't allow in. And working with the ANS is certainly an important part of that safety mechanism. But there's also a boundary, I think, that we use within a coaching context that's more about a boundary of self. Who am I? Who am I not? Who could I be? What prevents me? And from an embraining perspective, that's gut brain. Um, and that might sound a bit odd. If people have never heard of that, they go, what do you mean my, you know, my identity's in my gut brain? If we take it back to straight physiology, and I come from a healthcare background, so I often go back to physiology, neurology. In fact, I, I've got a lovely new phrase. I'm an, uh, a neuroplasticist. That's uh... Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, going back to anatomy, if you think of what the gut does, you take food in and your gut decides whether or not to keep that food and for it to become part of you or for that food to be eliminated as waste products and not to become part of you. So I am and I am not sits deeply, deeply in the gut level. And it largely unconscious at that level, but then a lot of our beliefs are unconscious too mm. and stem from a very early age. Um, so yeah, gut for me is a, heart, a huge part of boundaries. Yeah, and I'm hearing an awful lot around safety safety absolutely self-preservation um, if you perceive any threat whatsoever your body will do all that it can to keep you safe mm -hmm. and sometimes that, that makes sense and sometimes you do something and you think why on earth did I do that but it was your body making those decisions to keep you safe without necessarily you know negotiating with your head brain about what your head thought might be the appropriate response because it just needs to go for speed Yes. And I see this a lot with the clients that I work with, where they are, you know, they're struggling between their head, their head, their heart, their gut. They want to create some boundaries with people, but they're really feeling like they should be doing things for people or they're feeling guilty and really wanting to help or rescue people. Mm. So I think it'd be really great if we could dig into that and understand what's getting in the way of having those healthy boundaries and and eventually what steps we can take to start creating them. Yeah, so should we do a bit of a neuro geekiness in terms of looking at quite a high level theory, if you like, of some of those boundaries that you alluded to there in terms of people pleasing is actually just a stress response. It's our way of feeling safe or trying to be accepted. So the theory that I use is called polyvagal theory. I love the work of Deb Starner, who translates it into a very beautiful, easy to use ladder, basically. And there's three steps on the ladder. The first one at the top is called ventral vagal. Life's okay. Doesn't have to be perfect, but it's okay. I'm happy enough. I'm safe enough. I can connect mm -hmm. facially with somebody else. I can look them in the eye. I can smile. I can assess whether someone's a risk or, you know, friend or foe. 
And that's where we want to live most of our life. The reality is we don't. We slide down that ladder and we get triggered again, any sign of a threat, um, any sign of a risk. And it doesn't have to be real. It could be perceived. Loneliness is another massive one. And especially in the pandemic, when I do feel for people who are in the house alone for all these months, not able to connect, there's a real risk of health issues there. Mm. And so it's very easy for them to slide down the ladder into initially a stress response. So the next, the middle bit of the ladder is your sympathetic response. And people will know that from fight and flight. That's the common language with that. So if somebody triggers you, you might get up and argue your case, hopefully not get into a fist fight, but you will fight verbally with somebody to have your voice heard or to put your point across. But some people don't react like that. Some people go, oh, I'm I'm not going to get into an argument with you, so I'm just going to walk away. And they'll walk out of a meeting at work or they'll shut a door. We see teenagers doing this quite a lot. Yeah. They will walk out and slam a door behind them. That's flighting. If you keep triggering somebody when they're already in that stressed response, and there's a continuum within that stress response, it's not one step, there's several steps. But if you keep triggering someone and they don't have the ability to regulate that emotion to come back up, then they will drop into what's called dorsal vagal. Mm. Now, in the animal kingdom, think of a, a lizard, say, or, you know, reptile, if they're in real fear, they'll just play dead. They'll be a rock. Pretend they're not there. Yeah. yeah. Now we do a version of that as humans. We hide ourselves away or we dissociate. We remove ourselves from our body completely. And mm-hmm. it is just a protective mechanism. Yeah, I know this one well. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a tough one to be in at the bottom. Yeah. Um, And counterintuitively, if you think that you've gone to the bottom because of extreme threat or stress, the way out of it is actually to stress somebody, which is wholly counterintuitive. The temptation is, if you're empathetic, to meet someone at the bottom of their ladder where they're curled up in a heap and put your arm around them and sit with them. And it's okay to do that for a bit. But once you've got their trust and their rapport, your job really is to poke them a little bit and stress them in a safe way that will bring them back up to the sympathetic where then they can be mobilized and take action to get themselves back up to the Mm. I'm okay place at the top. So this is where we have to get moving and start gently stretching our comfort zones and putting ourselves in situations that cause a little bit of anxiety. And then it gets easier and easier and easier. Yeah, but in a safe way. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just going to revert them into an even deeper hole. So doing it with somebody is a great way. So if you know someone in that place to say, hey, let's, we are going to go out. This is not an option. We're going to go out. We're going to go together. We're not going to go far and we're going to go somewhere that's familiar, but we're going to go out the house would be mm-hmm. one example of a safe stress. Or Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Suzanne. I think the key takeaway there is that we really have to get uncomfortable to move out of this state of freeze. Um, and quite often that's what we're trying to avoid. So let's move on into exploring what a boundary actually is, shall we? Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because the minute you say boundary... 
Mm. Anyone listening will have their own meaning of what a boundary is. And it will be different probably for everybody. Yeah. And there might be some commonality, like it's a, a break between two entities or, you know, you might think a wall, you might think a window. Um, and you can play with the metaphor of that. If you understand what somebody's boundary is and what stops them, you can beautifully change the image. So often a brick wall is, is one that will come up, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a big brick wall in front of me and you go, oh, that's really interesting. So if you could just get a tiny little chisel and just move one brick, not permanently, you can always put it back in if you want to, but you could just look through or you could put in a peephole if it's a door, you know, in, in terms of a security um, eye hole. So you can play with people's metaphors. But I think what is a boundary will be different for every person. Mm. And the key to working with it is to understand what their meaning of a boundary is, where they're holding it. Is it a heart boundary, for example? How many people do we know who have been hurt or let down, who wall off their hearts, who go, it's just too painful to feel? And so they will create a boundary subconsciously around their heart to protect themselves from the difficult feelings. But unfortunately, that also walls off all the beautiful joy, peace, love. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're never meant to do that when they set the wall up. That was not their intention. And this is why sometimes the reaction our body creates can be absolutely right in that moment, but then creates a pattern that becomes the problem Mm -hmm. that we end up dealing with in coaching. Yeah, absolutely. And I see this walling off of the heart in my experience of social anxiety. You know, we feel like we're flawed and unlovable and we, we just expect to be rejected. And so our bodies kind of feel that it's safer to not let anyone in, even though we might be desperate to feel love and connection. Um, it's just fascinating how our bodies work to protect us, isn't it? Let's now talk about boundaries with other people. You know, when someone else is behaving in a way that really doesn't feel good to us, it feels like they're crossing a boundary. What do we want to understand about this? Oh, I always start with self. If you under, if you can understand what your body's doing and this polyvagal theory and the three places on the ladder, if you can get yourself to a self-regulated, grounded, beautiful, safe place then you can have more understanding for the other person. Yeah. Um, So it's certainly worth looking at why they might be responding the way they are, but coming from a beautiful regulated place yourself will change what you see in the other person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find often the people who are crossing the boundaries are unregulated themselves. Almost, Almost by default. Yeah. If they're someone who swears at you or shouts at you or stamps their feet at you, they're not at the top of the ladder and therefore they're in their own version of fighting or flighting or worse, storming away from you and, you know, going. um, And and I say worse because we have a saying in the UK about sending someone to Coventry, which is, comes out of a kind of school playground type mentality but actually we see it as one one of the most insidious forms of bullying in adulthood where you deliberately disconnect from someone where you won't even have the conversation 
So what you're doing to that person is forcing them into that deep dorsal vagal, you don't even exist. You're not even important enough to have a conversation with. You know, it's really, it's really horrible form of bullying. And the people doing it will justify it as, well, I just don't want to speak to them or I can't be bothered or I've, you know, tried once or twice or whatever their story is that they're running in their head. That form of bullying is the most psychologically damaging form of bullying that you can do because what you're basically saying is you don't exist. That just really struck a chord with me. You know, I've had this situation a number of years ago now where uh, somebody was you know, they, they had these ideas about me, who they thought I was that just weren't true. And they were so resistant to hearing from me and having a conversation. And they were like, no, nope, I believe what I believe. And I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm blocked off all communication. And, you know, I was just like reeling going, well, you know, I kind of, I want someone to understand who I am. I don't want to be misunderstood in this way. Um, and it did take me a long time to you know, figure that out and actually be able to let that go. Yeah, that's a deep identity boundary that's been transgressed. Mm. And your body will respond with the strongest safety response that it can. Um, and so what we see in the bullying um, arena is people who have been treated like that may respond with a severe fight flight so sometimes, although they're the, the target of the bullying, they might then get angry and shout. And then it almost justifies the person saying, I'm not, see, it's not worth talking to you. Yes. And you can't see the enmeshment in the two systems, just both heading downhill really mm-hmm. fast. And so, again, for me, understanding some of that has been really, really useful to know where I am and then also to be able to have a little more compassion if someone's behaving atrociously by either the fight flight you know the swearing at you or the I'm just going to cut you off Mm. you know you add into that in terms of other sorry I've gone down a bullying frame now because um it's one of the things I do over here is uh run bullying programs for organizations but if you add into that mobbing whereby it's not only one person because they then probably in a fight or flight response talk to somebody else, Mm -hmm. they start sharing their hallucination story and then you can get whole groups of people shutting somebody off. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was absolutely my experience. Um, And actually it was family that was doing this and um what happened was there was no conversation about the misunderstanding um, the stories that were being made up, made up about me. And yet I was expected to attend the family get togethers like a good little girl. Um, and it just felt to me like I was going to be walking into a lion's den. And in the end I had to be like, actually, no, what do I really need? My body is telling me to stay away. I will quite happily have a conversation one-to-one, but I'm not going to sit there and pretend like nothing's happened. Um, And that was a really hard boundary to set because it was, you know, involved other people as well. And, and other people were upset and wanted me to just brush it under the carpet. And, you know, that's the way that they respond. (laughs) Yeah, that is a classic that can't we just move on? Can't we just pretend this hasn't happened? Um, Yeah, can't, can't you just 
I don't know, shake mm. hands and forget it. And you go, actually, no, because you have transgressed a boundary at identity level and there has been an autonomic response to that. So the only way to heal that is to allow it to come out of the body. Otherwise, all you're doing is suppressing it and it will come back up at some later point. Yes. Yeah. So you're still left feeling unsafe, even though you're packing it down and pretending like everything's okay. Yeah. yeah. And that whole psychological safety thing, you know, once that has happened, it's very likely the person who's the target doesn't feel safe in that workplace. Yes. And so even turning up to a meeting can feel threatening. And I read a beautiful paper the other day about um, clients who might come to you in that state. I use this word state not to say they're in a, you know, a state as in wrong, but as in autonomic state. And for them, a neutral face is threatening. Yes, yeah. That unless you're in a full ventral vagal smiling safe connected face as the coach that will still be perceived as threatening once they're in that response and that was so interesting yeah it was like that really kind of woke me up a bit to going well then I have to be really conscious and genuine because the last thing you want to do is this be this pink fluffy everything's lovely come into my office and we can sort the whole world out with a little <laughs> bit of positive thinking and unicorns and rainbows because they'd be out the door as well right yeah that's they'd feel it yeah so is this balance of how do you get yourself in such a good self-regulated state that you can share that and co-regulate share some of your good state with them to hold their hand to be able to walk them back up the ladder yeah okay I mean, there are a lot of people who are, you know, they're, they're putting other people before them when they're feeling like they need to have boundaries in place. They're not doing it because they're afraid of upsetting people. So what, what do they need to know in order to start putting these boundaries in place? Yeah, I think for me, it always starts with awareness. Hmm. Always, always, always. If you're not aware of something, you can't work with it to change it. So being aware that that's what you do. If you're a people pleaser, it may have been longstanding. It may just be how you are. And you may not even be able to imagine being anything else. But in effect, people pleasing is just another stress response. It starts in childhood, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it will start because you feel like you need to do something or be a certain way to fit in or to be accepted. And so it's I, I kind of did it in a weird way as an adult academic um I came through a health professional route before it was a degree qualification so I had a diploma in my field of diagnostic radiography and while there was some good intention of going on and studying part of it was about becoming belonging being part of and so I went and did a higher diploma and then we went degree based and I thought well I'll go and do an MSc And then when I had the MSc, I thought, well, if I do a PhD, then I'll be credible and acceptable. (laughs) And it's like the ladder was up against the wrong wall. Yeah. But I wasn't quite at the point where I was doing my own self-development journey at that point. I was trying to people please, i.e. get qualifications to fit into an academic department. Um, and, And we do the same in so many different ways, whether it's being nice to someone, whether it's um, I don't know, service around the house, doing the housework, 
picking up everything after your kids whatever it is it shows itself in so many ways but yeah that people pleasing being aware that you're doing that out of balance yes we want to serve and contribute but when you're doing that to try to work on your identity in some way it's become a stress response yeah so how does boundaries and compassion fit together in your view oh oh okay so compassion very heart-based but we know that compassion as a highest expression of the heart can only be fully realized when all the other brains highest expressions are also fully realized yeah and we're talking about the highest competency of our brains here so if we're looking at identity-based boundary if you haven't got your gut-based identity at the best form of self you're not going to go to highest level of gut which is courage therefore you can't be compassionate for yourself or others fully that's all on a continuum but you're effectively self-sabotaging by not having that boundary in place for your own protection and identity oh i'm so the opposite of boundaries is self-damage the risk of self-damage because if the boundary is not in place yeah you risk it being transgressed so you could argue the opposite is that to be highly self-compassionate you need strong boundaries yes yeah and the work of Brene Brown has shown that the most compassionate people have the strongest boundaries yeah and vulnerability so sometimes we have to be vulnerable to move those boundaries or to go outside of those boundaries yes and it can be such a challenge, can't it? Absolutely. So you mentioned that you had an experience at work. Could you mm. tell us a bit more about what happened there and, and how you got through it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish I could give you a, hey, I'm a professional coach and I sorted it out in two sessions. <laughs> um, it wasn't like that at all. It, it, it blindsided me. So I was... Um, basically headhunted to come to New Zealand and I was an associate professor in health so working at a very senior level in an academic institution and when I joined it it was a it was a great place to work um, and as in so many things that happen is there's a change of boss and with that that boss often comes in and does a transformation um, and gets rid of all the people that were in and brings in other people that are of their style. And over a few years, there was a completely different culture running in this place. And initially, I was quite favoured within this new culture, not through any um, intent on my part, but I, I don't think I saw everything that was going on because I happened to be in an okay place with the people yeah and I was working hard I was probably working 60 70 hours a week um there was some awful stuff going on around me and uh, some real ethical stuff going on that I reported to the senior leadership saying you need to be aware which put me in no man's land because yeah. senior leaders didn't like hearing it and the people on the other hand hated the fact that I'd exposed it so I found myself in a very isolated position, but carried on working. And these people left and took uh, a whole load of coursework with them. Um, it was very, very, very difficult position. And I saw this coming and thought we have to have 
something else to offer. So without being asked, really, I just in the background was creating a new potential program and um, got it to a point where I thought it's, it's in draft enough. And I took it to them and I said, look, I realise the situation and I've come up with this and I think it's a potential solution. And it must have been around June or July time. Now, we run opposite academic years to you. So our start term is February. Yeah. And they sat on it and they sat on it and they sat on it. And I thought, I know what's going to happen. They're going to come back to me in October or November and say, we want it for February. So I started recording my working hours. I started keeping a working log of what I was doing with my time. And right enough, in November, they came back and they said, we love it. Can you run it for February? (sighs) And I said, well, kind of. But this is my working log for the last four months. I'm doing an average of 70 hours a week for me to set this up and write it. Basically, you've got to take some of this stuff off me. And there were three senior people in the room and they said, you're a senior member of staff. We expect more of you. And I said, I'm already giving you more than double what you pay me for. I physically can't do any more. And uh, uh, that turned everything. So I went from being a favoured member of staff to being a troublemaker. And uh, yeah, isolated, taken off. So what they did was um, not only give the programme I was writing to somebody else to write, they also took the programme I had been running off me and gave it to somebody else. They moved my office so that I was in effectively a cupboard in a, a new corridor um, I was left off email lists. I was, you know, and I genuinely just thought it was horrible, but hadn't really realized what was going on, that it mm. was a form of bullying, that isolation and exclusion and not talking to people was a form of bullying. And I couldn't quite get my response. I was, I, I was not responding well. Uh, you know, initially I tried to have the conversations with them. I tried to make meetings with my boss and every time it got cancelled if I passed him in the corridor he wouldn't speak Mm. and I'm like what is going on here and then somebody rang me and said are you taking legal action and I said "Hmm, why would I be doing that and they said because you're being bullied you're being effectively pushed out the back door and I said oh really and they said yeah uh, we overheard a conversation um the big big boss told my boss to make my life so difficult that I left wow and he was doing a pretty good job at doing that actually it was pretty <laughs> yeah but I'd moved my whole life to here for that job yeah you know so that there's another boundary for you is that it's not easy sometimes to just go all right then I'll, I'll get another job you know I was the only associate professor in the country in my field Um, I had a family to feed. My husband was a stay-at-home dad looking after my kids. There were so many boundaries being crossed. So I I stayed and it became a long long and difficult path, probably two or maybe even into the third year where I did the job as best I could um, within the restrictions. Uh, I tried to tolerate the isolation and the being left out. And... um, yeah, tunneled. I, I called it tunneling and yeah. created my business in the background that I could then walk into when I was ready. Um, so, yeah, it, it was 
it was interesting with all my skills as a coach, with all my skills as a leadership coach, a culture coach, consultant, I could not seem to influence the behaviors of the other people in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. So all I could work on was me. And I went and sought coaching and counseling and therapy and everything I could to get myself out of that bottom of the ladder because I I was in the bottom of the ladder before I realized I was there. Wow, thank you for sharing that. It sounds so, so hard. Um, and I guess it sounds like you you knew that your boundaries were being crossed and you had a plan to to move from there. Yes, yes. And, you know, now that I know about polyvagal, it's like I understand my autonomic spacing so much better. So I, I will be somebody that if if you trigger me, I'll initially try to fight my corner. Mm-hmm. And if I'm triggered again, I'll walk. Yeah. So understanding that's my pattern, which is unconscious and automatic sometimes I can see what I'm doing quicker and then make a choice is this something I need to walk away from or actually is this my autonomic response trying to protect me so if somebody you know um let's get it off of me but a client if if a client comes in with a work situation really the work situation is only the tip of the iceberg where else have they had that boundary transgressed yeah 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 o- often way back into childhood again isn't it yeah. yeah yeah and so then when it is poked they'll respond much quicker and much more forcefully to that because your body goes I know what's going on here and I know I'm under threat and I need to do something about it mm. so that's how we can very quickly move straight into that freeze mode yeah I have a beautiful client at the moment. Um, He's a CFO. He's in his late 50s and he was bullied at work and he came through a GP referral to me because of the stress and anxiety related to that. And when I taught him this, um, I talk about the ladder because that's Deb's wording, Deb Starner, who created the ladder or a staircase. And it kind of gives you some control because it's like, well, if I take a step down, I can take a step back up. And I was talking to him and he said, I haven't got a staircase. And I went, oh, tell me what you've got. He said, I've got a fireman pole. (laughs) (laughs) And once I'm on that at the top, I drop right to the bottom and there's nothing I can do. I'm like right the way at the bottom really quickly. And so we use that metaphor and that analogy for him. And now, yes, he's still got the fireman pole, but he's got this beautiful spiral staircase that he can then climb back up. And what we're doing now is working on that sense of still standing in ventral vagal but reaching out the hand as if to go down the fireman pole so that's his pause point Mm. as soon as he feels himself heading for the pole we've still got a moment to stop the reaction but I thought it was such a lovely analogy yeah I really like that (laughs) I was just waiting for like where's the stairs gonna come in (laughs) we've had to build the stairs you know um and they're um and you can see they're big and they're long and they're round and it's hard work for him still yeah when he does go down it takes huge effort and hard work to go back up that staircase it's not just one or two rungs on a ladder for him because Mm -hmm. he's been he's been hurt many times and now that yeah that root down is fast and quick and deep yeah yeah and I mean I had this experience about well probably 
13 years ago now where I worked in the NHS and again we had a murder of different wards um, and there was this particular nurse that seemed to take an instant dislike to me and my immediate response was just to avoid 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 and it wasn't until I was doing my NLP course years later that I looked back on that situation and I was like oh I really like perpetuated that by avoiding and I left her far too much space to think about you know what is this girl doing and she's clearly not doing her job even though I was really good at my job and responsible she yeah. didn't know that <laughs> and it was just your body protecting you yeah so it's one of the frames I hold with all my clients is nobody's broken your body is beautifully adaptive yeah and all it's doing is protecting you now, whether or not that way of protecting is still working for you five years on, 10 years on, whatever, do we need to upgrade the software and, and you know, create a new pattern, which will take effort and discipline and persistence? Yeah. Um, but having said that, then, the, you know, there's some beautiful new techniques around um, that can make things happen pretty damn quick. So I don't know if you've heard of havening. Havening works with um, traumatic memories, really was where it came from. It's got wider use than that now. And if you know, uh, kind of a, a neuron connects to another neuron through a synapse. Yeah. If that synapse can be disrupted, the message, the reminder of, oh, this is taking me down the rabbit hole, if you can disrupt that message, that message can't get through. And so the receiving neuron goes, well, I don't know what that is. I'm not doing anything with it. And it doesn't pass it on. So you can disrupt that emotional pathway with simple havening touch. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to have to look into this. <laughs> oh, I, I, I give you a real, real quickie. Right. So um, great for affirmations, great for feeling good. So you can use it to unhook old emotions you can also use it for resilience and moving forward in a positive way so you just take your hands and rub the palm of your hands together there's a high proportion of pleasure neural uh, receptors in your hands and other places but we'll stick with the hands for now mm. and you you don't need to say it out loud but you can if you like create a beautiful affirmation for this week for you for work and as you say it just allowing your body to do what it does as you're rubbing your hands together and what that's doing is creating delta waves in your head brain it's changing these amper receptors in the synapses so it's disrupting old ones and setting up new ones that are then making that pathway for your new affirmation absolutely clear easy your normal pathway and depending what your affirmation is whether it's a heart-based one or a gut-based one coming from an embraining perspective mm -hmm. if you just if it's a heart-based one just take your hands to in front of your heart and say that heart-based affirmation you know i'm grateful for my life or i love working for myself whatever your affirmation is at a heart level, if it's a gut one, you drop it to in front of your gut in terms of, you know, I can be strong. I can have courage. I am courage. Mm. 
depending on how long we've been doing that, maybe two or three minutes. But what's happening in your body as you do that? What are you feeling? I'm feeling so relaxed. (laughs) (laughs) Just, yeah, just just a real like releasing of stuff going on. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. So there's there's about seven or eight different techniques with havening, but even just doing that one, which isn't really a full technique, but you feel the embodied shift. Yeah. And I just use it all the time now. Like as a whenever I'm even doing um, coherent breathing with embraining, I will do a little bit of self-havening or get my client to do that. And it ramps it up and makes it even quicker. Yeah. That's lovely. That's a lovely little exercise for everyone to have a go at. Yeah. There was a question about when people are taking responsibility for other people, their well-being or their emotions, and they really want to look after someone, how do they start shifting that sense of responsibility to be able to create the boundaries that they really need? Yeah, so I, I said at the time it starts with awareness and then we went off down a tangent. So it does start with awareness. <laughs> yeah. And then, then being aware. So let's say I'm now aware that I'm a, a people pleaser. I think one of the places I might start is kind of feeling into the so what of that. Because with a lot of these um, responses that we create, there will be some good as well as some disruptive and what you don't want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater. so what does it give you what does it actually give you well it gives me long-term connection with those people it means that they come to me when they need help okay so you the relationship is important value level you don't want to disrupt that what do you need alongside of that and are you getting your needs met So where's the balance of their needs and your needs? And probably it's way down the line of meeting their needs and not yours. Mm -hmm. And then what can happen is we get resentful that we're doing stuff they don't appreciate or I'm the one carrying all the can here and I'm doing everything and that's not healthy either. So, yeah, a conversation around values with yourself, what's important to you. And then at a gut level, what do you need? And then when you've got that information, re-looking at, right, so that's what they want and need. This is what I want and need. How do I do like a, not a compromise, because compromise sometimes means neither get, but a negotiation. Yeah. So that I can still have what's important to me, which is relationship, but I can truly look after myself as well. Yes, because of course we need to be looking after ourselves first in order to be well enough to look after other people. Absolutely. There's a lovely little embraining term called dumb compassion that I keep coming back to where we're kind of just 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 leading with the heart and forgetting, just excluding our gut and our head as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you, you know, parenting is a, is a great example of where people do dumb compassion. If you do everything for your kids and you think you're doing them a favor or spoiling them or treating them or whatever the word is you use, and they get to the point at 18, 19, and they're moving out, although apparently now the average is 31, but let's suppose they still move out at an early age, (laughs) they're not able to live independently. Mm. 
they don't know how to cook, they don't know how to clean, they don't know how to use the washing machine. They don't know how to live in relationship where there's give and take. Yes. And they become an entitled, you know, will you just do it for me? So that for me is a version of dumb compassion. Yeah. Where, you know, wise compassion would be to help them to gently learn all those skills that they might resist and they might not like you for, but you've got the bigger picture in your mind of where you want them to be able to be. Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah. So there's thinking about that long term, what's compassionate in the long term rather than just the short term right now. Although it's far more easy, I imagine, as a parent to just give in and give your child what what they're asking for in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it can be. You know, you think of your toddler tantrums. Yeah. But a toddler tantrum is just that they've dropped down the ladder. Yes. There's something that they're feeling unsafe about yeah so what do they actually need to climb the ladder instead of giving into them how do we help them to manage their emotional state yeah and you know it may be something as simple as connection yeah because you were talking about that face-to-face contact that eye contact and smiling and Mm -hmm. that helps to regulate the child because what do we do she says pulling up her ipad we give the kid the ipad to watch Mm -hmm. Or they're on an iPad, I'm the parent on my phone, they're looking for my attention, and my attention's here. We're literally wired to connect. So if we haven't got that co-regulation with another human being, that in itself will take us down the ladder. That's why cutting somebody off is just a vicious attack, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. And wow, how easy it is to do that to a child. And then that sets their baseline for the future and then they have to do this work to climb up the ladder by themselves yeah and we've got a whole generation of workers who probably have had that who are now at work desperate because they want connection Mm. but they don't know how to do it and then when they get the connection they're not able to calibrate is it safe or not back to boundaries yeah so they find themselves in difficulty and conflicts and bullying situations because they probably do trust somebody and then that person will transgress a value or a boundary. Hmm. They didn't see it coming. Yeah. One of the um, pieces of work Gary Namey has put out, he's um, from the Workplace Bullying University in America, Um And he describes your typical target of bullying, which is not what you'd think. I'm interested. Carry on. (laughs) Popular, efficient, effective, nice person. Not who you think of as the target, is it? No, absolutely not. So why would someone like that be a target for bullies? I think it's more about in terms of the bully not having a secure sense of self Mm -hmm. that they see someone like that as a threat right okay so they've gone down the kind of ladder and they'll attack they want to bring other people down the ladder too and I think it completely blows out the water that you know your target is I don't know someone who's different or odd or troublemaker or 
yeah, that that just doesn't hold up in research as the majority of the, the targets are, are not that at all. They're actually really good at their job and really well liked. Wow, that's the first time I've heard that. And that is so fascinating. If somebody is feeling like their boundaries are being crossed and they want to say something, but maybe they're going into this kind of like freeze, avoid, how should they first start to approach this? Yeah, beautiful. So this is about wanting to or needing to respond. And if you're, depending where you are on the ladder, if you're in fight and flight mode, your response might not be the best response, Mm. the wisest response in the moment. If you're at the bottom in the, I'm not even here, you might not even find you can find your voice. You might not even be able to speak up. So the only place to respond from really is at the top of the ladder. So it's about how do you get yourself back up that ladder relatively quickly in order that you can then have a proper conversation, conflict-free, where you can respect each other and connect. Now, you are assuming that you've gone back up the ladder and so have they. You might go back up the ladder, they might not be. Mm. And so it's not a foolproof if you get yourself up there, everything's going to be fine because you're still dealing in a complex system with other people who might not be there. But you're still better off being up there for yourself, even if you're talking to somebody who's in fighting mode, say. Mm -hmm. So some of the things we know get you back up there, uh, self-regulate very quickly. One I've already talked about is havening, really beautiful way of just settling your system really, really quickly. Breathing work, another one is what we use in embraining yeah. in terms of, um, you know, we use a regular breathing pattern even in and out breath. But if you're in a fight mode, you might actually want to do a couple of release breaths first. So you might want to do a couple of really long out breaths or a couple of ha breaths. I don't know if you're familiar with the ha breath. Um, so you're kind of almost getting rid of, you know, you breathe in and they go, ha! and you kind of release that caught up tension that will then allow you to come back to balanced breathing oh that's brilliant yeah that can be really powerful um probably not one to do in a board meeting (laughs) 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 but there's a school there's a school that I saw a video from where they um very um poor area lots of problem kids Uh, I think it was a boys only school certainly the video I saw was only boys and they had real problems with aggression in the classroom and also um, what they called runners so basically if somebody got so stressed they'd do their flighting but they'd go off school grounds yeah and they'd have to go and try and find them because they were at risk and they taught them the har breath and now they all the whole class does it and they've not had any runners, nobody like don't run, they're all more self-regulated. And it's a way of controlling that stress response kind of in the moment. Um, and I guess it's a, if it's a group of boys, you know, it's not it made me think of a hacker in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, you know, it's a way of controlled expression mm. that gets the fight mode out of your body that will take you a step or two up the ladder so that you can then begin to do the ventral vagal, calm, balanced breathing, smile, and then you can have your voice 
and express what's happened, but in a rational, non-confrontational, loving, compassionate way. Yes. Yeah, that's so good. This is what I did when I, you know, that situation I described earlier with the family, I didn't reply at all. I took myself for a walk. I did some breathing. I connected with a counsellor friend of mine. And then I came back with compassion for her perspective. Um, And it still didn't go to plan, but I, you know, (laughs) felt like I had done the best that I could. Yeah. And that's all we can ever do. Yeah. I've, you know, I've had a situation recently where a group of people have, um, disconnected from me Mm. and uh so we tried to have some conversations and I said in order to do this so that I feel safe I I need to know what we're talking about I need an agenda basically yeah no that wasn't provided so I did everything that I could to be in that calm state have very clear boundaries and they weren't at that level and they just said well cut off they just literally cut off the phone and went we're not even talking yeah I'm like well okay that that's sad I'm desperately sad about it but there was nothing more I could have done yeah yeah thank you for sharing that Suzanne I think that it's really important to hear because you know we often feel like we should do something even if it means bending and flexing to meet other people's expectations of us and putting ourselves in a position where we feel unsafe emotionally or otherwise. Um, But this conversation with you really feels like our listeners are getting that permission to set the boundaries that they need to, regardless of how other people will respond. And we've been talking a lot about where setting boundaries hasn't gone so well, but there's also a lot of times where practicing having those tough conversations has been really, really amazing. Um, I'm thinking of a certain situation where I sat down with a friend and a work colleague and you know I started with Brene Brown's line the story that I'm making up yeah it was just so brilliant because she really met me where I was and we had this conversation that was you know full of curiosity and compassion and just love for each other and we came away like you know stronger than ever so it can be really really satisfying to have those those conversations and tough conversations yeah Yeah, and and it is tough conversations courageous conversations is another term I like yeah being prepared to have the courageous conversations and being aware that you need them then coming with a, a loving intention that is not about you know you getting your way but is actually about connecting Mm. I think changes the whole thing if both sides are coming from that that place but if you've got somebody coming from ego or power or stress or fight then sometimes it yeah sometimes it can't can't go so well um one of the things I love doing with teams is teaching them the language of the ladder so that they have another way of kind of going where are you right now on the ladder help me understand And you're giving permission to go that all of these places are completely normal. It's, you know, if if you said to somebody you were in the dorsal vagal in the past, it might, there might be a bit of stigma to that. Oh, you're not coping, you're anxious, you're whatever, you know, anxiety in the middle or withdrawal at the bottom. But if if I have got permission within a team to talk about where I am and the fact that I don't feel safe 
and they go, okay, I, I don't personally understand that maybe, but I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. What do you need in order to feel safe? And I'll make sure I provide that. Then we can walk up the ladder together. What a difference. That is so powerful. And so often we avoid talking about how we feel and we feel like we have to have this, you know, strong front. Um, but it can really, really help to just say, this is how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, and that's okay. It's just is. It's not. Um, it's not a judgment. It's not making big meaning out of it. It's like just fact. That is how I'm feeling. And yeah. if someone ever says to you, "Like I'm not feeling safe," and you just dismiss that, that's not a connection that's going to build. Because what you've done is prove that they're not safe. Yeah, for sure. Is there something more that you would like to share around boundaries before we wrap up? I think the fact that they're dynamic. They need to be dynamic. They need to be agile and flexible. If we create such a rigid boundary around us, it can be restrictive. Mm. If we have no boundaries, that's a real risk. So we want to create boundaries that, you know, and some are stronger than others. Some are absolute in the line. This is the boundary and you don't cross it. But for a lot of everyday work type related boundaries, it's about having a boundary and being okay if, Um, you know maybe someone does push against it recognizing that and going oh I can feel that that boundary's moved a bit and then reassessing it and deciding whether or not to push it back out or actually yeah life's moved on life's changed I'm happy to move my boundary Mm. so for, for me the safety comes from the flexibility of them that's nice yeah and then permission to maintain those boundaries where you need to yeah, and change them because yeah. as life moves on, um, you know, who would have dreamed we'd be in a global pandemic? I imagine a lot of our boundaries have have shifted big time. So yeah, flexibility and yet them being having them. So it's not about not having them, but it's about having them and being prepared to constantly reassess and work with them so yeah. that they serve you. They're your boundaries. Yeah. They're not there for other people, they're there for your protection. Okay. And do you have any final tips for having that conversation around setting boundaries? Go and find an MBIT coach. (laughs) (laughs) But joking apart, you know, because of the beautiful way MBIT works across all of the intelligence centers Mm. and boundaries can be heart or gut based. I now cannot imagine having coaching around boundaries that isn't MBIT based. Because if all I'm doing is thinking about them and setting them in my head and I'm just setting myself up for more and more stress because it, it's not going to work. For sure. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Doing my MBIT training was one of the most powerful, powerful things I've ever done. And yeah, really helped me to, to find my voice. Can you just let us know where everyone can find you? Yeah, um, I'm on social media as Suzanne Hemward or MBIT for Success on Twitter or Embraining for Success is my Facebook page. Um, My main website is embrainingforsuccess.com. So yeah, go and stalk me. There's all sorts of uh, free stuff on those websites. There's uh, free talks, a free ebook if you're curious about Embraining. There's my YouTube channel. Suzanne Hemward has loads of guided meditations to help you just play with this stuff and explore it and see whether it's something for you or not before committing to paying for a full-time coach that's beautiful thank you and I would recommend following you because you do share an awful lot around boundaries (laughs) 
transgressed a few times so it's something that I do talk to other people about oh well thank you so much for joining us today it's been a real pleasure talking to you yeah my absolute pleasure Hayley thanks for listening if you've learned something new today please do pass on Suzanne's wisdom by sharing this episode with a friend or on social media you can head over to quietconnections.co.uk forward slash blog for the show notes. Until next time, please stay connected.